Are you church drunk? Are you church drunk? No, I was not with <laughs> I was not with any youth. Oh. I was just with youth ministers, which oh. also fun. I mean, uh, they're great. great. <laughs> Anyways, hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a new podcast from the tenuously young, comparatively hip, and comfortably lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. Hello. And Olga Segura. Hi, guys. All right. So what do we have on tap this week, Zach? So we're drinking Canada Dry and whiskey. Yes. Um, but there's <laughs> a reason behind champions. that. We, we, we asked uh, our Twitter community for recommendations on Canadian alcoholic beverages because we at America Media are published by the... Jesuit Conference of the United States and Canada. Actually, Canada and the United States. Thank you. Canada first. first. (laughs) Canada first. So, to help with... To appease our Jesuit Canadian overlords, we asked our Twitter followers what their favorite Canadian adult beverages were. And we got a few answers. But these were pre... Us maybe pulling out of NAFTA answers. <laughs> so yeah, and uh, like taxing softwood or something. Softwood and milk. <laughs> and milk, yes. Um, so Robert David Sullivan, our coworker here at America, said the Bloody Caesar, which is like a Bloody Mary but with clam Caesar dressing. No, oh, no, that would be gross. <laughs> <laughs> um, from Robert Salvo, the Toronto Politan at Epcot. Toronto Politan. Oh, yeah, okay. come on. <laughs> That's cosm- not a real word. Be a okay? cosmopolitan Torontopolitan. <laughs> At Epcot. So we that sounded enticing, but I feel like we couldn't actually do a Canadian drink that's from Florida. <laughs> yeah, it would defeat the purpose. <laughs> um, but the winner of our Twitter poll uh, was Nicholas Greco, who said, Canada Dry. <laughs> Alternatively, <laughs> Canadian Club and Coke. We had Canada Dry in our fridge, so we went with that one <laughs> and just added regular old whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> Today's guest is Joe Hoover, a playwright, actor, and poetry editor of America. We will be talking to him today about an article that he recently wrote for America Media on the death penalty and Nebraska. So we look forward to having Joe on later. And then we will be talking about our consolations and desolations, where we tell you where we did or didn't find God this week. But now it's time for Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. Um, so up first, from Catholic University of America, there's a band formed by four Dominican sisters called Force of Habit, which is a great punny name. They used to be in uh, a singing group called None of the Above. Oh, wow. N-U-N. So (laughs) these are some sisters with some pretty great pun game going on. So if we have any CUA listeners, uh, let us know if you're a fan. Or if their music's any good. I don't actually know. Yeah, also that. Uh, Pope Francis has given a donation to a Italian nonprofit called Work of Love, which has taken a portion of an Italian beach and made it accessible for people with disabilities. So this went through the Pope's uh, official almoner, uh, his charity guy, um, and it's gonna his donation will cover the cost of rent for this nonprofit for an entire year. Um, so good on Pope Francis. Um, He also, on Saturday, caused a little bit of controversy. Uh, He was giving a uh, talk to migrants at the Basilica of St. Barthes. 
Tholomew, and he was speaking about this man he met on Lesbos, the Greek island uh, that is hosting a lot of refugees right now. And he said, quote, I don't know if he was able to get out of that concentration camp. I don't know if he was able to get out of that concentration camp because the refugee camps, many are concentration camps because they are so crowded with people. So this comment drew some criticism from the American Jewish Committee. Um, they released a statement that said the Nazis and their allies erected and used concentration camps for slave labor and the extermination of millions of people during World War II. There is no comparison to the magnitude of that tragedy. Yeah, and I, I think the criticism Pope Francis has gotten is fair. Especially, we just had this whole controversy with Sean Spicer, who got so much flack for, you know, uh, saying, you know, at least Hitler didn't gas his own people, comparing him to Bashar al-Assad. Um, and then he tried to, like, backtrack on that. And it, it seems like we're giving Pope Francis a pass that Sean Spicer didn't get. And... It is a different context, and he is saying this in order to shock people into caring about refugees. So that is qualitatively different. But I think the reason people got so upset about Sean Spicer is because there's this visceral reaction when you compare anything to the Holocaust because it was such a unique evil that in respect to the victims of that um, living and dead, you just don't try to make it on the same level as things that are happening today. And I think I think that's a fair criticism. Yeah, it's important for us to call out even... Even you know, Pope Francis. Even Pope Francis. <laughs> yeah. So there has been a debate this week whether or not you can be a Catholic and a member of the Democratic Party, which is sort of a perennial, like, can you be a Catholic and a member of any party? And the answer is usually yes. But was especially pertinent in the last week because of a mayoral race in nebraska because the candidate there who was a catholic and had been opposed to abortion in the past uh someone found this out and basically nayral nayraled him nayraled him right they they blasted him and you know said he shouldn't be supported for uh running under the democratic party and bernie sanders and tom perez were there at a rally to try and get him elected and all of a sudden, that was the that was the question, right? You know, you've mm-hmm. got Tom Perez doubling down, like, no, you were a pro-choice party. There's no room for people who are pro-life here. And then you've got Bernie, like, we've got people from all over the country, and not everyone's going to agree with us on everything. So, yes. And then you've got people being asked questions on Meet the Press and Morning Joe. All of a sudden, you've got Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden last year. We asked him this, and he said... Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There's room for pro-life people in the Democratic Party. But there's Uh, a difference between, you know, being a member of the Democratic Party as a voter and feeling like you can fit in there and vote based on any number of reasons and the practicality of running in the Democratic Party. Are you going to get money from the DNC if you are pro-life? And it seems like the answer is no. (laughs) Right. Which the Democratic Party right now is less popular than President Trump, which is... (laughs) <laughs> Very difficult to do, um, but a lot of people seem insistent on doubling down on old ways. That's mm-hmm. all I'll say. Not old ways. There in two thousand six and two thousand eight, um, under Rahm Emanuel, like he got it. Like he was like, "We're not going to win counties uh, in red states without except having a big tent." And that's when 
the Democrats were able to win House seats in a way that they have been unable to do um, under different Democratic leadership that has been, uh, ha- you know, have, has these litmus tests of who belongs and who doesn't. Well, my memory is short because I think in 2006 I was collecting Pokemon cards. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah. I still might be. <laughs> so, yeah. No. So I'm just saying it doesn't have to be this way. Like uh, the Clintons not that long ago were the... You know, it was safe, legal, and rare. Not, not. I'm going to have my acceptance speech for the nomination at Planned Parenthood. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is a development for sure. Yeah. yeah. So Pope Francis dropped a surprise TED talk in which he called for a revolution of tenderness, um, which is very in line with everything that we know about Pope Francis, and it also shows how great he is at tuning into how important te- technology is in terms of being in solidarity with one another. And how know? important surprises are. I think he's picking mm-hmm. up on like Beyonce right now, <laughs> right. their marketing. He's, yeah. he's really picking up on that. And he's so good. Like we see him on Twitter, we see him on Instagram, which he joined last year. And it's just, it's super refreshing that he's able to do all of this. Something, I mean, people pointed out uh, a couple things, the, the parts in the speech where he talked about people with power needing to have humility. Um, people attributed that to a, quote-unquote subtweet towards certain world leaders um there's that one great line about uh (laughs) there's a saying in argentina um power is like drinking gin on an empty stomach you feel dizzy you get drunk you lose your balance and you will end up hurting yourself and those around you if you don't connect your power with humility and tenderness so there's a saying in Argentina. I don't know if <laughs> That's pretty good. any of us or maybe any of our listeners have experienced what drinking gin on an empty stomach is like, Never. but it's a very powerful, at least probably a lot of us have seen someone who's had too much to drink falling over. So it's a really powerful image. I have to admit, I haven't watched it because I really don't like TED Talks. <laughs> but why not? Why not? They're just like... You know, I went through a phase in college where it was like, it was like, it was kind of like podcasts. It was like, oh my God, did you listen to this TED Talk? And then you listen to enough of them and it's just like this formula of like personal narrative, huge world problem, simple answer that will solve everything. And I just find them grating. <laughs> and, uh, it, and it like Pope Francis is so good about like talking about the limits of technocratic solutions to our world problems that I was like, oh, why are you stupid? I think, level. But, but it's not stupid to <laughs> no, I, you I, elitist. I, I read the highlights and I think he he said exactly what he should have said. But yeah, I just couldn't bring myself to watch it. <laughs> and now we're welcoming Brother Joe Hoover. Welcome to Jesuitical, Joe. Hi, Olga. It's great to be here. <laughs> Say it like you mean it, Joe. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, does he not like me? That didn't sound like excited. <laughs> Let's try that again. I'm having more fun than you, I think. <laughs> so, Joe, we wanted to have you on because you had this great article for us recently called titled Nebraska Highlights the Catholic Church's Struggle with the Death Penalty. And in the past two weeks, we've seen recent events happening in Arkansas and the recent execution. So we thought that this would be a time it would be fitting to have you on to talk about this and sort of the process of writing this piece um so before we get to your piece uh could you give us a brief rundown of where things stand in arkansas this week um there's been three executions i think so far and the state of arkansas tried to execute eight men in 10 days and some of those 
guys were uh, given stays of execution. Some of them were executed. I think three so far. One of them, America wrote about. He was he requested communion for his last his last meal, which is pretty moving. So it's been a big battle. Arkansas is doing that because the expiration date for these drugs are um, it's coming up, and so they're trying to execute these guys before the drugs expire legally. The FDA has been banning uh, some of these drugs, execution drugs, lethal injection drugs. And so um, it's come up with some different consequences. I wrote about Alabama has made a proposal to bring back the firing squad. Uh, the state of Arizona suggested that maybe the uh, inmates could provide their own lethal injection drugs. So there's kind of a lot of chaos. And one of the things I wrote about in the article is like a tragic farce. It's these um, ridiculous things that come up around the death penalty all around the country. Um, these things have all been tied up in the courts, uh, but there's also been a legislative battle over the death penalty that you document in your piece for America. So can you talk about that in the context of Nebraska, where they've been kind of going back and forth on this? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's um it's pretty interesting. So there's a a really um an iconic state senator there named Ernie Chambers. He's um a legend in Nebraska. He's been on in the state senate for for ages, for over four decades. And every year since uh, 1973, when the death penalty was uh, reinstated as legal, he's been introducing bills to ban the death penalty. Finally, in 2015, he introduced a bill, and it actually passed. The governor, Catholic governor, Pete Ricketts, from my hometown, Omaha, he uh, vetoed the repeal, but the legislature overrode the veto by one vote. And in part, they did it through a coalition of both Democratic and Republican governors, some of them who are Christians. They were torn apart over this issue, trying to remain faithful to their voters who probably would like the death penalty, but their Christian consciences told them they couldn't. They came to the point where I can't. I can't back this. I have to overturn this. And that's a big deal because this is a red state. And so this is a notable. Right. Yeah. And when it when it came out, people were really surprised. I was surprised that Nebraska all of a sudden repeals the death penalty. Um, as soon as that happened, um, Governor Ricketts said that even though the death penalty has been repealed, he still has the legal right to execute all those guys, 10 men on the death row. Why? Because they were sentenced to execution before the repeal happened. So he made a legal claim that he could still execute these guys. What's more is that he went out and he personally campaigned in 2016 against those Republican senators who overrode his veto. And he put money into the campaigns of the opponents of those state senators who overrode his veto people in Nebraska that I spoke to said, okay, it's not illegal, but it's pretty unethical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then <laughs> he put $300,000 of his own money, our Catholic governor, into a petition initiative to put it back on the ballot and bring it to the voters in November 2016 and give them a chance to reinstate to, to repeal the repeal or keep the repeal is very convoluted <laughs> yeah. language for people. Um, so this became one of his signature issues. And people I spoke to couldn't quite figure out why. What, what, what is the deal? Why does he so intent on keeping the death penalty, 
let alone using it, putting his own money into it. I'm trying to think of the things I care about enough to that I would spend three hundred thousand dollars on. <laughs> right, right. And in November 2016, by sixty to forty percent, the uh, voters in Nebraska restored the death penalty. And basically, every county wanted to do that, except for Lincoln. The county of Lincoln um, did voted against the. Um, re- the language is <laughs> voted against, voted to retain the repeal. So Lincoln voted against the death penalty. To, to See, that, that's their problem. They're, the people fighting to keep the death penalty illegal had a terrible slogan. Retain yeah, they, the repeal. They had to retain I don't, it, the I don't repeal. Even know. It was really. Yeah. Um, with the alliteration. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> and part of it, you know, the, the Archbishop of Lincoln, um, Bishop Conley, or not Archbishop, but Bishop Conley, um, there was a circumstance where he was giving a, an interview on a radio show about the death penalty and, and basically saying, you know, Catholics do have a right of conscience and so forth. But his words were taken out of context as saying basically a Catholic could in good conscience vote for the death penalty. Um, and the Nebraskans for the death penalty took that and they took it completely out of context and said the bishop is supporting the death penalty. And he took great pains to refute that and say, no, the church is not in favor of the death penalty. Um, he asked them to take that down from their website. And the bishops were extremely clear on it pretty much throughout all three bishops. Yeah, your piece in goes state. into like, they really like, they sent out packets to all the parishes. Priests were talking about it in the pulpit, which I've never heard. Um, so it sounds like there actually was some mobilization around the issue within the Catholic there, there church. There was. I mean, some activists and other people would say that the the church in Nebraska has been back on its heels on the issue for a long time, and it didn't educate the voters over the years and have as much, I guess, vitality around the issue as it would around others. Um, the usual Catholic issues around, say, gay marriage or abortion and so forth. But in this anyway, in this kind of campaign for five or six months leading up to the election, it was a pretty, you know, full-out effort. Yeah, and I like the description you have where you're, Stating that if you're going to be pro-life, you can't pick and choose. You can't just focus on abortion. You have to focus on issues like the death penalty, which are so often ignored. You know, There was issues of how does the church talk about the death penalty? How does it talk about these issues which are not labeled as intrinsic evils, wrong in every circumstance with no exceptions, like it does about other issues, or non-negotiables, the 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 ranking of issues. Um, now I'm not a moral theologian. I don't speak with you know a, a, a ton of authority, but I can just report what others have said, and it does make sense that that language can be unhelpful when we talk about this is an intrinsic evil or this is non-negotiable. Then what about the other stuff? And in fact, Pope Francis once once said, "Non-negotiable? <laughs> what is that? What issues are negotiable?" You know, um, in talking about what Catholics should be passionate about. So is the death penalty negotiable? It was in this in the in the language of some in the church, it is a negotiable because there's only a few non-negotiables. You have this great quote from I don't know who Dave Nablowski is, but mm-hmm. he maybe just a he, he is Nebraskan. A, it, he was active in his parish at Christ yeah. the King. No, and well. so he he says talking about how Catholics right, approach right. this, he says, a life lost to the death penalty is tragic. A life lost to abortion is evil because they're innocent. And I think that just kind of like basic intuition mm-hmm. is powerful. 
Um, I think a lot of people think that's intuitively true. So how does the church convince people that the death penalty is also evil? How does the church change minds and hearts? You can use theology, you can use moral persuasion, you can use, but I, I spoke with a woman who, you know, she was a, you know, just a regular person who got active in visiting death row inmates. And she said, these are my friends and I don't want to see them get executed. I write letters to these folks. I'm friends with these folks. We pray. We share a meal together. She even brought down George Lucas, the Bishop of Omaha. Yes, his name is George <laughs> Lucas. Right? Um, she brought down Bishop Lucas to meet some of these folks. And so how do you change hearts and minds? It's through personal encounter. I think, I don't know. I mean, I'm no great uh, social justice advocate or anything, but I, for me, it's like when you meet someone in that circumstance, no matter what they've done, you still see, you know what? This is a flesh and blood person. There's no two ways about that, right? And I'm considering using my tax money to kill this person. How do I reconcile that with my Christian faith? You know, Foucault demonstrated like the... <laughs> I, I, I wasn't going to hey, say anything. I study Foucault too. I love it. I right. so, Chicago. Exactly. So Foucault like demonstrates. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> Trying to raise the bar here. Speak your truth. <laughs> I will. <laughs> Foucault demonstrates in the beginning of his book, Discipline and Punish, sort of the transition as a society from executions being this very public thing where you know, oh, let's grab the kids and take them out to the town square and we're going to watch those guys get hanged. To all of a sudden, it becomes much more like much more of a private event, something that you don't want to see, you don't want to show other people, right? Cameras aren't allowed, and if you can't see these prisoners who are held like locked away from society, then it, it's challenging to meet meet their humanity. Right. I mean, there was a number of cases that were happening right around this time of murders that were pretty graphic and violent in the public sphere. Right as the um, death penalty repeal was coming up for a vote in November 2016. And to some degree, that's what people thought of. And that's what they heard. And, and you know, and, the, and definitely there's fear and fears. And I mean, I act out of fear. We all we all do. But when you only see what someone's done, and not see the person, I, I you, know, you know, you can do anything to that person, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you can write off anyone, unless you actually know them. Could anyone who's visited these guys and talked to them saying, okay, in a week, I'm going to, I'm going to kill you, you know, just like that. I'm going to press the, press the button as it were. Um, I don't know. Maybe you could, but I think it would be very difficult. And it's on us. I mean, it really is on us. Maybe the, the church wasn't as strenuous about this stuff and really being over the years, really saying, no, it is not okay to execute people. It is just not okay. And you really have to think about this. Um, so, you know, and, it is on on church leaders to some degree to say if the people are not um, are failing, what have we done? You know, what have what have Christians done to not share the message? So, I used to be before I started working at America. I was mm -hmm. someone who was pro death penalty as well, and it was mm -hmm. through my work with fellow Christians and kind of reading articles and other pieces of literature like the piece that you've done that I sort of started questioning that. So you actually have a theater company where you go and meet people and kind of present these different perspectives, correct? We have a play, it's called Xavier Theater Company, and the, uh, Tom Paulino, a wonderful actor and director, and I 
um, have begun going into prisons and presenting um, a play, which I wrote, called The Good Life. And it's sort of a modern morality tale. Um, it was just a story of a, of a relationship which goes bad, the perfect guy who makes the wrong decision. Um, and never met one. Never met one, right? <laughs> I mean, really, the, the perfect guy, you know, in Omaha, no less. Um, Am I looking at him? <laughs> right? <laughs> Is this based on a true story? Not at all. <laughs> Of course not. Um, we did it for um, inmates at the Manhattan Detention Center um, this December. And it was very moving because we had a discussion afterwards. And one guy said, as soon as I saw this and heard this guy's story, I was thinking about my own life and cheating on my wife and getting into drinking and drugging and theft and criminal behavior. And uh, another person took a line in the, in, the, in the play and said, that is what we need to do. The line is basically, how do you know who you are if you haven't been something else, if you have nothing else to compare with? And he said, you know, maybe we being in jail have found out something about ourselves we never would have otherwise. We're going to be doing this in more prisons around New York. We're having a big benefit on May 25th to raise money at St. Malachy's Church called the Actors Chapel. Um, you can go to XavierTheater.org for more information about that. And if our listeners are in New York, can they see this play? Actually, they can next <laughs> Thursday, May 4th at St. Malachy's also, which is right across from Book of Mormon on 49th, which is Broadway. <laughs> the better show is... Better show, right. The better show is The Good Life. Yes. It's uh, much more gentle. Um, <laughs> more. Uh, so, yeah, that's next Thursday, 7 o'clock free show in the... Um, St. Malachy's presents. It's a wonderful church, by the way. So next Thursday, so again, XavierTheater.org. Yeah, that'll be awesome. Yeah, it's going to be great. Now, before we let you go. Yes. If you canonize one person in the church or no. outside of the church. Yeah, anyone. Easy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> or outside of the church, in fiction or, or in real life. It could be Shakespeare. Past, present. Prologue. Jackie Robinson. Ooh. Okay. Give me the elevator speech. Why? He had one year where he had to completely hold back of lashing out at the worst abuse a person can take. And he took it with humility. And he was the only one out there doing it. And he set the tone for everything else that came after him. He was incredible. All right. St. Jackie go. Robinson. Yeah. St. Jackie Robinson. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Thanks, Joe. I'm very glad Thanks, to be Joe. here. You guys are awesome. Everyone go see his play. Olga, you kind of dropped something there at the end um, about you know, being pro death penalty and then kind of having your beliefs uh, challenged during your time at America, which I didn't know about. So could you talk a little bit about how that happened? Yeah, I used to just think that people were their worst mistakes. So I thought you commit the crime, you have to do the time. And if you kill another human being, then logically you deserve to be killed yourself. And then I started working at America where Catholicism is very much a part of everything that we do. And that really forced me to kind of be like, okay, am I really that good of a person if I'm viewing other people in this way, regardless of what they've done? So, you know, just having to work with people like you and Zach, et cetera, Luke Hansen, people who have written pieces where they've encountered these individuals, I'm kind of like, I don't think 
this makes sense to this doesn't align with my faith, you know, so I slowly but surely had to kind of deconstruct that way of thinking. Um, I still struggle with it, clearly, because I'm always like, well, what if it happens to someone that I know or mm-hmm. someone that I love? Would I think the same? Yeah, it's it's easy to be against the death penalty when you've never been a victim of a crime or your family has never been a victim of a crime. But I think witnesses like uh, the families of the victims in the Charleston church shooting who were pretty much immediately said that they were against the death penalty for Dylan Roof, like that kind of witness. It's heroic. Yeah, it's heroic. And, you know, I could only aspire to be that forgiving if if the worst happened in my life. So. Mm Should we do some listener mail? Yeah. yeah. All right. Our first piece of mail comes from Jason, who, Ashley, you were on Unorthodox last week, mm-hmm. which is exciting. <laughs> and, it, and it went well. We it weren't sure last week. It was Wednesday. Yeah, no, came out I on was Thursday. Very tenuous about that. Yeah, and it went great. <laughs> uh, so this is from Jason. Just want to let you know that your cross promotion on Unorthodox was a success. After hearing Ashley's interview, I started listening to your show, and so far I've really, really enjoyed it. It's fitting that I should come to a Catholic podcast through a Jewish one, since the Jewish side of my family is also my Catholic side. Like Liel's theory about the other Leibowitz subscribers to America, my grandmother's family became Catholic while they were hiding in Poland. At first, it was just something to help their escape. But eventually, my grandmother became very devout and even considered becoming a nun. So, congratulations, you've gained a significant portion of Jewish Catholic millennials in Honolulu as part of your audience. I'm going on a limb to assume that this is a very small group, and so, therefore, I personally represent a large portion of this demographic. (laughs) Oh, this is my favorite letter ever. (laughs) So, thank you to... We will come and do a personal live recording in Honolulu for you, Jason. (laughs) Yeah. I would love to promise that. I don't know if we're going to get approval for that. If someone wants to sponsor our trip to Honolulu (laughs) for Jason. (laughs) So, thank you to Jason and the Jewish Catholic Millennials of Honolulu. Yes. And in another place where I'd like to do a live recording, uh, Australia, we've got Philippa McIlroy, who introduced us to her two friends, Ben and Katie. Uh, so thanks, Philippa. That's great. Yeah, thank you. And you're and she's on the Camino right now in Spain, actually. So That's awesome. I want to do that. Yeah, best wishes for your pilgrimage. Ooh, let's do a live recording from the Camino. <laughs> so we're just clearly <laughs> listing places from our it's listeners. It's clearly almost summer. I'll take the, and I will be taking the bus or the train. <laughs> I'll take all three of those or just one, whatever works. Um, and now on to Twitter, where we have at Danny Bowder, who wrote, Home on paternity leave is a good time to catch up on at Jesuitical show. Sorry to report that the baby is a fan of Zach's singing. Uh, some context for that tweet. <laughs> So I, I, we had a Twitter poll that tried to bring me down, and I'm very happy to report the results. Yes. So we asked our Twitter followers, should Zach Davis stop singing so much? It was brought up and- in a meeting that maybe I was singing too much. <laughs> and so we decided to reach out. With with 40 votes. We have 43%. No, he's very... 
With four, forty-three <laughs> percent say no. He's V talented. V talented. V talented. <laughs> Twenty-five. Yes, my ears are bleeding. Thirty-two. What is Zach? So exciting. <laughs> the top two are now going into a runoff. And will the yes, my ears are bleeding go to what is Zach or no? He's V talented. Yeah. No, but you got this baby of Danny Bowder on your team. So. <laughs> Hopefully he's on Twitter. It's a really cute baby. I've seen it. (laughs) Um, All right. Time for Consolations and Desolations? Yes. Okay. Part of the show where we talk about where we found God this week or where it was harder to find God. Zach, do you have one for us? Yeah. Uh, I just got back from a trip uh, for a story that I'm working on. I was with a gathering of uh, youth ministers and diocesan level directors of youth and young adult ministry. And it was really consoling for me was being in the room f- with a bunch of people who are passionate about bringing the church and Jesus to young people and debating the ways in which the church has failed to do that in the past. Um, but also, I mean, the room was full of a lot of hope and joy and recognition that God is already working in young people who aren't engaged in the faith. I was really consoled by their witness. That's great. What about you, Olga? I also have a consolation this week related to a project I'm working on for America. Um, It's required me to specifically kind of delve into what Catholicism looks like in the Dominican Republic, where I was born. So it's been extremely consoling to see how not just to see my own culture in a very different way and try to, to try to be extremely objective about it and not just let all of these personal biases or all of these ideas flow into it, just kind of writing about the culture and also the way faith has played, has evolved on the island, you know, and just being able to witness that and see how people, and, and, and it's very different than, you know, what we might see here, or what I'm accustomed to seeing here. So it's it's been kind of beautiful to be doing that and to eventually share that with our readers. Um, so... Have you talked to uh, your family about it at all? I have. I have. What's um, happened, Mike? It's been good. Uh, some of my relatives agree with the piece and the direction it's been um, headed in. Other relatives don't like it as much. They think it's sort of an unfair representation of what religion on the island looks like. Um, but it's it's I, regardless of who agrees with me or who disagrees with me, it's been beautiful to just see how faith has shaped itself on that you know i don't haven't been back to the island in 10 years so to kind of just dive into it it's been pretty beautiful um what about you ashley yeah so my consolation this week came from editing an article that we just published it's called my son's gift of an organ donation taught me death is not the last word by eric gregory um so it's, it's a really great article, but the consoling part of it was actually the editing process. You know, there's, there's some pieces you edit and it's just like pulling teeth and wrestling and all <laughs> difficult things. Um, just because of either the topic or the relationship with the author. But with this specific piece, it, it, it felt more like praying than wrestling. It was just like such a intimate, um, story for the father to share. Um, you know, a while ago, his teenage son had a sudden brain aneurysm and died, um, and happened to mention a week before that he wanted to be an organ do- donor. And so this father tells about, the process of, you know, losing his son, but then also seeing his son coming back to life um, in the lives of the uh, five people who received his organs. 
Um, so yeah, so just editing, you know, it was, he was giving us America and our readers the gift of this really beautiful story. Um, and as his editor, it's gratifying to be able to help him, you know, tell that story. And, you know, he came back to me and I'll, you know, with things like this, I'm often like worried about, you know, putting words in people's mouths or changing it or whatever. So I went back to him with the draft and he was like, Oh, I couldn't have told the story better myself. So <laughs> just, you know, being in that relationship as an author and editor, um, can sometimes be really special. And this week was one time when it, I, I felt that. So that was, that was very consoling. Yeah. That's beautiful. Entering into someone else's vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so everyone should read Eric Gregory's piece. My son's gift of an organ donation taught me death is not the last word. And April is national, um, give life month. Um, uh, when, you know, there's, there's a campaign to raise awareness about organ donation. So if you haven't checked off that box on your driver's license, this would be a good time to do it. Um, I think there might be like some, like, uh, confusion about what the church's stance is on this. Um, but there shouldn't be. The church is very pro organ donation. Um, so it, it is a pro-life issue. So yeah, maybe the one pro-life issue that, people from across the political spectrum can agree on. (laughs) (laughs) So we all had consolations this week, which is something to be grateful for, but that is not to say that we are living like Instagram worthy lives where everything is perfect. It just happens that this week, three consolations. Jesuitical is brought to you by America Media and produced by Wyatt Massey. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Jesuit formation provided by Eric Sundrup, SJ. Adult supervision provided by Carrie Weber and this week, Eloise Bondio. Our logo is by Sean Tripoli. You can follow us on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever that Android app is that has our podcast. It's free. Subscribe. Leave us a review and rating. That is the best way to get us out there besides i think if you subscribe and unsubscribe it tricks apple into thinking our numbers are better yeah so do that do that (laughs) do that and then email your friend and tell him or her to do that too um also twitter has been pretty lit this week yeah no um so join our join our twitter community that's been fun yes so on twitter what we need drink recommendations also adverb recommendations i'm i'm having to come up with all these adverbs at the top of the show and i'm running out so you know if you have any way to describe young hip and lay that would be helpful um so you can do that on twitter or you can send us your feedback cocktail recipes um and tell us where you found god this week at jesuitical at americamedia.org For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless, joined by Zach Davis and Olga Segura. We'll see you guys next week. Bye.